Welcome to the Greater Church Podcast. We are praying that wherever you find yourself on the journey, that this message will be an encouragement and blessing to you. And now, here's today's message. Hey, today I'm reading from Acts chapter 1, verse 8, a familiar passage. Um, And it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Hey, over the next few minutes um, in this fourth installment of Plus One Sunday, I want to speak to you from this idea or this thought, the plus one, the plus one. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Um, We thank you for this opportunity that we have to come into your presence, Lord. Um, Father, we pray today that we would hear this message. Um, Not only be encouraged, but may we be empowered, Lord. Pray that we would walk out of here, Lord, with a a, a renewed sense of purpose, Lord God, and a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. Um, Eliminate distractions today. I pray, Father, that you would eliminate um, any type of plan of the enemy today, um, that we would hear from you, that we would see you clearly, Lord. Um, And again, Lord, um, that we would be encouraged and empowered, Lord. Father, we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Amen and amen. Come on, would you put your hands together one more time for Jesus? That sounded like a 9.30 a.m. clap. Not gonna lie. It sounded like the first first service, which was rough. Hey, um, I... uh, I have, as you can see, that little girl up there. I wasn't being mean to her because I'm a mean pastor. That's my daughter. I get to be mean to her. Um, I brought her in this world and I'll take her out. You know what I'm saying? Um, but she is, uh, she's my daughter. I also have uh, two amazing boys, which one is supposed to be sitting here in the front row. Um, we're going to talk later. Um, I have two amazing boys uh, that, uh, that we raised. And then I have a 24-year-old as well. Um, I identify in my 20s, so I had them very, very young. Um, but... I have four kids. There's nothing like raising teenagers, though. And only the parents that have teenagers can even remotely say amen. Um, Never have you questioned your salvation as much as when you have a teenager in the household. Um, My my job is to raise them correctly. And the the worst, uh, I wouldn't say the worst part, um, but I would say one of the hardest parts of raising them is not that they're, you know, drug addicts. You know what I mean? I'm not like trying to tell them like, yo, don't say no to drugs. You know, thank God they love the Lord. Um, I don't have to tell them, you know, to, to not do some of the crazy things um, as my mom had to tell me. Um, but I do, I do have one area that I, um, I, 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 I almost like I'm at the border of losing my salvation and going to jail and losing my freedom. It's like both of those right there. And it's usually around like 9 o'clock, 9.30 in the evening. Um, teenage parents, you know what I'm talking about. And some of y'all, they have little kids. You understand the same thing. When you tell them like, yo, it's 9.30. I, you said at 8 o'clock, give me five more minutes. Um, at 9.30, I'm asking you to go to sleep. I'm asking you to go to sleep. Um, and they don't go to sleep. They decide that at that time is when they want to turn up. You know what I mean? They want to wrestle. They want to fight. They want to play. They want to go in each other's rooms. And you're tired. I just want to sit on the couch and watch TV or I just want to go to sleep. But you want me to put my hands on you. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I really, I really don't. My, my mom, I, it was something weird about my mom because my mom didn't really have that problem as much. I feel like my mom used to tell me, hey, I want you to go to sleep. And, you know, I was angsty and, and stuff. But my mom always used to give me like this, this, this uh, warm milk that it would it, it taste like milk, but it tastes a little tangy too because she put sugar inside of it. And I don't really know what happened, you know what I mean, about 20 minutes after I took that milk. And I don't know if your mama and daddy did that to you or your grandma did that to you. 
the spirit of Benadryl before there was ever melatonin. You know what I mean? My, and I would, you know, my, I, I was drugged as a kid. <laughs> Some people use that as a Christian joke. They say, mama drugged me to church. Mama didn't drag me to church. She drugged me. Like I was drugged. Like I was like, oh my God, mom, why can't I see straight? Plunk. And maybe that's what I need to do. No, I'm not going to do that. Don't call HRS or FSC or whatever the heck you call that thing. What's crazy is that I'll, I'll, I'll put these, these boys to sleep and spe specifically this one right here. He has energy on energy on energy. He wakes up in the morning and it's like his eyes open. It's like... I will be in the living room. And as I'm in the living room, I'm like, yo, go to sleep. Everybody go to sleep. I'm watching TV or something. And then all of a sudden you hear... And I'll, I'll get up. I'm like, bro, I know what it is. So I'm walking to the room. And it'll be like, Levi's like mid-air. You know what I mean? Like mid-air Randy Savage. You know what I mean? Like elbow in the air. Like just flying across the room. And I'm like, and when I open the door, it's like in mid-air. He's like, what are y'all doing? Nothing. You're a liar. Bro, you literally just Randy Savage, your brother. And then we knocked the air out of Ramses. And Ramses is like, And I show up and everything like, and the same thing with Abigail. Yo, Abigail's the worst, bro. That little girl right there. She, and then she thinks she's slick. And I feel so bad for her sometimes. Sometimes I don't. I'll hear her or I'll look and I'm like, I'll look down the hallway behind me and I'll look. And when I look down the hallway, I can see the light in her room, right? And so I'll start walking towards the room. And how many of y'all remember, how many of y'all remember when you were kids, like you, like, I don't even know how to explain it. You, you, you know what your parents' steps sounded like. You know what their, their, their chancleta, uh, their sandals, you know what their, it's a clank, clank, clank. You know that it was your mom, she was coming in the room. Like, you knew what their steps sounded like, and I guess she knows what my step. And bro, as I'm walking, all I hear is the same thing. The light goes off magically, and then I hear, bloom, 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 and the lamp is like falling over. And then I open the door, I'm like trying to open, ah! And when I open the door, half of her legs hanging off, she's like barely like, she's like trying to act like she's asleep. <laughs> she's like bleeding because she like broke the lamp and everything. But she's like, there's something about when dad steps into the room that it changes everything. I think this story is in a horrible illustration of what I just did. This story is literally marked by dad stepping into the picture. Here's what happens. Um, the children of Israel, as we've studied and we've seen um, time and time again, they have gone in bondage and then they get set free from God and then they go back to doing the same thing. And then God is like, hey, I'm, I'm, I love you. And then they go back and then they worship idols and then God's like, I love you. And then back and forth and then they, they get taken into bondage and something bad happens to them because God removes his hand and he allows for something to happen. And then he rescues them again. Remember uh, Egypt and um, Babylon. And we can go down the story of times that the children of Israel would end up in captivity because they would just rebel against God and serve other gods and give their children, their babies up to be um, burnt up um, in Molech and in different offerings and they forget about God. And so here it is that God creates a plan, right? Genesis chapter 3, he creates a plan, and the plan has a name. His name is Jesus. And so Jesus is coming to live a, a life that we couldn't live to be that final sin offering for God, right? And so God, uh, we're introduced to Jesus in the book of Matthew. Uh, way before that, we're introduced to him, and you can see sprinkles. Every book of the Bible um, can show you a foreshadow of who Jesus is. 
But in the book of Matthew, we see Jesus in his embodiment as the baby. And in just a few months, we're going to celebrate that, which is the birth of Jesus. And Jesus steps into the scene, and for 30 years, he lives this quiet life. He's a carpenter, the Bible talks about. And he lives this quiet life with his family. At around the age 30, um, things turn up on his life. Um, he begins with a baptism. And once he begins with that baptism, he starts to do the work of the ministry. And for three years, dead bodies are raised to life. Blinded eyes are seen. Um, Jesus begins to preach what we've heard, which is the kingdom of God. And when we hear the word, the kingdom of God, we begin to think, okay, and what the religious leaders of the time thought was that Jesus, they were obviously, again, they were under rule of the Roman government. They were slaves to the Roman government, the children of Israel, because they had backslid, because they had turned away from God. And being in the rule of the Roman government, they thought, we are waiting for the Messiah to come who is going to save us. He's going to rescue, them for, uh, rescue us from this. And so Jesus steps into the picture. When Jesus steps into the picture, they're thinking that there's a kingdom that is coming down. And time after time, Jesus would say the kingdom of God is at hand. In fact, the kingdom of God is here. And they're looking around and they're like, where is our knight in shining armor with a white horse that is going to deliver him? But when he talked about the kingdom, when he was talking about a kingdom, it's under the domain of a king. And a king has an order. He has a way of things being done. And when Jesus was talking about the kingdom, he was talking about a way of doing things, a new order to what everything is that is happening and everything that you see according to the religious doctrine that they had learned through the prophet Moses so here it is that Jesus comes and he begins to preach and he's healing people and he's saving people he's bringing them back from the dead he's falsely accused he's pinned up on a cross he's killed when he's killed the Bible says that he goes down and he, he obviously he's put inside of a grave. The Bible says that he goes down and he takes the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And three days later, he resurrects. The Easter story, right? When he resurrects, for the next 40 days, he begins to walk and speak with the individuals that he made disciples as well as the ones that were loosely around him, about 120 of them. Over 500 people see him in his resurrected body and form. But then he has a conversation with the disciples, which were the individuals who were following him closely and were following along in his teachings. And then he says to them, here's the assignment. I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you by yourself. Here's what I want you to do. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, I want you to be my witnesses. I'm going to empower you, but I want you to be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, and to the ends of the earth. And I believe that there's a correlation with those four in our own personal life, in our families, in our close network of friends, work, in our cities, and then in the world. And I believe that we have an assignment that God has given us. Jesus did not give that assignment only to the disciples. That assignment was given to us as well. That assignment was to be passed down. Can I tell you that honestly, the buck doesn't stop with you either though. Because the assignment, when all of us inside of this room are gone, 100, 200 years from now, and our great-great-grandchildren are the ones that are living and roaming this earth, the assignment is still there. There are still to be witnesses. If Jesus tarries and he doesn't come, we're still going to watch the name of Jesus be witnessed, and people are going to speak about him. And that's the responsibility that me and you carry. The problem is, though, that a lot of times when we think about being witnesses, it's hard for us because we're like, number one, I don't have the content. I don't know what the case happened, right? So witness is a legal, uh, a legal term. And so you have a person that witnessed the crime. A person can be vindicated or mean they can be set free or they can be in prison and punished depending on the witness. The witness can say something to be able to let that person go or to cause that person to stay in jail for the rest of their life or for a certain allotted time. But it's dependent on what the witness says. And sometimes with us, when we think about that word witness, 
And when we think about us speaking to people, we think, and I, I love this. I had a conversation with, with, with David Higgins the other day. Um, for some of y'all that are in his G group that meets every day here at Sunday at 4 p.m., he asked, like, why don't we evangelize? What, what's the reason? And some people were like, man, I just, I, I just, I hate to go to door to door and knocking on people's door. Hey, if you died today, okay, awesome. Hey, uh, hey, if you died today, okay, dang, okay. And we, we, we think and we, we relegate. Let me tell you something. Door to door is effective. There's some of us that are in the faith right now because somebody went door to door. So I'm not speaking against it. But when we only put it in that frame of reference, it scares us, it intimidates us, or it makes us disgusted. Um, rejection is the number one plan of the enemy over your life at every single turn. I'm going to do something and I'm going to be rejected for it. I'm going to apply for something and it's not going to work. That idea of that kickback is something that deals in the hearts of believers and non-believers alike. It's something that's real. So when we think about the word evangelism, when we think about being witnesses, we think about rejection. When in reality, you're thinking too much about yourself. You're thinking way too much about yourself. The Bible says that Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to bring you, he uses the words as the comforter, the teacher. He says, I'm going to empower you. The Holy Spirit is going to live inside of you. I'm going to give you the power so that you can be my witnesses. So I'm going to give you something so that you can do something. So it has little to do with you and so much more to do with what's inside of you. But at the very beginning of what happened here, I want to show you something because I think that there's some clear practical tools that me and you can grab to be able to walk in the empowerment. Now, here's the deal. Um, the band is not coming back up, and they're, they're going to come back up in a little while, not now. But we're not, we're not going to strike up the B6, 5, 7. We're not, we're not, the, the drummer's not dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. There's not going to be a bunch of emotionalism in this place. Because I believe, and listen to me, I'm an emotional person. I, I got the stool because I want to sit down, but I'm Cuban, dude. I can't. But I'm, I'm trying. But I want you to understand, I don't want this to feel like I, uh, it's an emotional experience. I want to speak to your heart, and I want to speak to your emotion. I do believe that God is an emotional God, but I want to speak to your mind because I want to free you on some stuff that if you can get it here, it'll translate here. We took 12 weeks, and we unpacked who the Holy Spirit was in the life of believers. We took 16 weeks talking about spiritual authority and how do you develop now that the Holy Spirit that you have it. So please, if you do need to learn a little bit more about who the Holy Spirit is, I can't do that in a 25-minute message. Oh, my God, 15-minute message. I have to do this. I have to be able to do this with time. And so we took the time throughout the entire summer to be able to teach it. There's a service or series that we did called After Death. It's called AD. You can go on Facebook, YouTube, and you can research that. In that, we took a step-by-step, in-depth study on who the Holy Spirit is and the gifts of the Spirit. And once we talked about the gifts of the Spirit, we talked about how they are developed in your life. But today, I want to show you something because the Bible says in Romans, I mean, I'm sorry, in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you receive the power. And then he tells them, I want you to wait for me. And then Acts chapter 2, listen to what the Bible says. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Here is where the, the bass will go. You know what I mean? And the drums so you can feel it. You know what I mean? And the guitar will go. You know what I mean? To make it like kooky and weird and spiritual. You know what I mean? Because the more, the more spiritual it is. It says, when the day of Pentecost had come. They were all in one accord, in one place. Somebody say one place. Stop, Chino. Stop, Chino. I love that. Some of my friends preach like that. I might preach like that and y'all like it. So whatever. When the day of Pentecost had fully came, they were all with one accord in one place. Everybody say one place. 
And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. The first thing that I see here, obviously Jesus empowers them. He tells them, I'm going to give you the power. If Jesus says it, you can bet your bottom dollar that he's going to do it. So I'm going to give you the empowerment so that you can be my witnesses. So sharing about who Jesus is, he's going to give you everything you need so that you can do that, right? Then he does the miraculous. Acts chapter 1, after chapter 2, the scripture says that all of them were in one place. They were all gathered in one place together, all of them. Here it is. We're all in one place. After 50 days that Jesus had resurrected, Jesus has shown himself to over 500 people. The disciples are now in there praying for about 10 days. And it doesn't necessarily say, if you read the scripture, it says that they were exactly praying. But I do believe that prayer was a part of it. I think that they were teaching. They were all in one accord. They were all single-minded and they were all focused on one specific task. I believe that when you think about this idea of being in one place, it's important. Because it depends on where you are. There's a task that you accomplish and there's a place that it gets to be done. Like, I, 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 I think in my own personal life, as I look at the lives of so many different people, this church has affected, and I'm preaching, and I've been preaching for a lot of years. But man, I can't tell you how being in this place has affected and helped my life to grow and helped my marriage to grow. And though it seems like sometimes I'm the only one that's out here and that I'm preaching and I'm the one that's leading, but... There's times that you people well, together, we have had conversations where my life has been impacted because of something that we shared. I think, man, even last Sunday, man, the message that Alex shared where God is this protector. He comes along, he tests you, you know what I mean? And then, or, or he, he teaches you first and then he tests you. He's a provider. He provides for you at every moment. And then he has this thought. That he's, he's a restorer. And I've seen it in my life, man, where I've been broken. I've been the prodigal son who's ran away from God. And all of a sudden, God has restored me. I mean, time and time again, my life has been developed. My life has been shaped inside of this place. You, you ever broke your leg and went to IHOP? I mean, yeah. I mean, hey, you ever, hey, you ever, it's a knee slapper. You ever been to a, you ever played basketball in a funeral home? I mean, think about it for just a second. Like, places are important. There's certain places that you do certain things at. You know what I mean? What I want you to understand is that there was a community of people that were found inside of that place and that they were all in one accord, but there was a community that was in one spot. There's something important about having a group of people. Jesus was the creator of heaven and earth. Jesus made everything that we see where the word was with God and the word was God. Genesis 1 and God spoke. Jesus created everything. I mean, this whole thing, everything that existed. Why couldn't he just come, take on flesh and just save the world? Check out, boom, I'm out of here. Hey, God bless y'all. Y'all boys, take it easy. The Bible says that the beginning, he started to bring people on the journey with him. And he started to get James and Andrew and, and Peter and, and John. And he started to get all these people. And he started to bring them together. And he started to create a collective of 12 individuals. And he started to pour himself into them. Jesus could have saved us by himself. But he understood the importance of community. He understand what 
the power of community and what that actually means in the life of believers because I'm strong and I feel like I could do a lot of things and I could go fast, but I could go further, faster. I'm so much stronger when we are collectively doing it together because I can deal with a sick family member and I can pray for them on my own and I believe that God heals me, but there's something about a collective of church people that can gather together and begin to call on the name of Jesus, that they can begin to cry out in their own houses, that they could come alongside of you, that people will grab your hand and say, I'm walking with you through this season there's something about a community there's something about having people in your life in the loneliest seasons of your life a lot of times that is where we feel the farthest away from God it's crazy when you have people alongside of you that walk through this journey it feels like the zeal opens up I just had a conversation and we were talking with our next steps team and something that's really cool about next steps is that um we, we want you to go on this journey right and the journey is we want you to discover who we are as a church we want you to discover God's agenda for your life and some basic biblical discipleship right but then we want you to learn a little bit about yourself ultimately so that you can begin to make a difference right we shaped our church around this vision we want you to know God we want you to find freedom we want you to discover your purpose and then we want you to make a difference. Well, one of those ways that you make a difference is being able to jump on a team, right? And so what we do is that when you go through next steps, we want you to be a part of a team. The reason we want you to be a part of a team is not because we need somebody to come and set a chair up. Not because we need another person to hold the door up. We do that because here, I've had conversations with people here, like I was talking to Deb and even having a conversation with her husband, but even so many of you that are here that have jumped on team, it's not that you go and you do a task, it's that you attach to a team. And all of a sudden, your life is affected because somebody's asking you, hey, talk to me about your family. Talk to me about your marriage. Talk to me about your life. Now, all of a sudden, you got friends in your life that you can be real and genuine with, and they're walking through a journey with you, not just setting up a table, but on a Tuesday, you're receiving a meme that's making you laugh, and your wife is telling you, bro, who's on that phone, bro? Why are you laughing so hard? Let me see. And you look, it's like, yo, it's the team. It's the worship team. We're sending memes to each other. We're laughing at it. I got a relationship with people that are walking me through the journey. Some of the most horrendous things that have happened in somebody's life, they have been a part of a team and they've been discipled, healed. They've walked through the process of restoration, being in the context of a community. It's a community. There's something about the place. Not only was it the place, but the Bible says that they were all in one accord. They all together were in one accord. They, they, that word one accord, and I've said this, uh, I shared this, and hopefully you remember this. It's the word where we, symphonia. The Greek word there is symphonia. That word symphonia is where we Americans get the word symphony. And symphony just means several different instruments that look different, that sound different, that have been made at different times. When they are in the same note, they are in one accord. They're in the same path. That means Z can get on the piano and she can play it. And Inkem can jump on the guitar and she can play the guitar. And then David could play the bass. And, and Kevin in the back, he could play the flute. And play the flute. If they're all on the same note, it, it comes as one accord. You can feel it. You don't even have to know music. You just, but if, but if the flute gets off, or, or let's say the piano, Nunzi, she just, you know, hits the wrong bang and everybody's in one accord, but she bang, she hits the wrong note. You walk in here, you have no musical expertise. You're like, oh, somebody got a demon. Something wrong here. <laughs> oh, the music's off. The singers can be all of them singing together. And if so, hey, Lord. Oh, she ain't prayed this week. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like something, something, you can tell because it's in one accord. One of the things that we do with a team, I love this. And I do this every now and then because it's one of my favorite things to do. Do me a favor. This is crowd participation. I want you, at the count of three, to tell me your favorite color. 
Just tell me your favorite color. You don't, don't, don't be weird, but just tell me loud. You have to say it. Don't just be like in your heart, Jesus, my color is blue. You know it. No, I need you to tell me. Tell me what's your favorite color. You're going to say it out loud. You ready? Here we go. At the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. I mean, I couldn't understand anything. Let's, let's try it again because that's what it was. We're going to try it again. You ready? At the count of three, tell me your favorite color. Ready? One, two, three. Blue. Exactly. As a, some of y'all screamed louder because you're like, you're going to hear me, pastor. <laughs> what, what I want you to understand is that it, there's chaos when there is disunity. And God is not necessarily looking for uniformity. He's looking for unity. He's not looking for it to all look the same or be the same. He's looking for it to all sound. Watch this. I want you to say the color red because it's the blood of Jesus. Say the color red. At the count of three, I'm going to say the color red. And what I want to show you is that this is going to be an evidence of what these men and women experienced in the upper room. But I also want to show you the power of community, the power of not only being a place, but the power of being one accord. Watch this. At the count of three, say the color red. You ready? One, two, three. Red. I mean, you can feel that thing. There's something about alignment. When, when there's an alignment, it feels like you can go forward. So many of our friends I know that are in a building that they serve in military capacities, there's something about putting everybody together in alignment that you're able to achieve a goal. But when everybody starts going their own way and there's division, division, the vision is this way, the vision is this way, everybody starts going, you're not going to be able to accomplish a goal. But there's something about when there is an alignment. Um, Jim Collins, uh, he is a, a writer of a book. Um, we started at our church reading this at the very beginning of our church. We planted our church with a lot of the concepts that we learned from that. But Jim Collins has a book called Good to Great. And I don't know if you read it, but about 25 years of studies, he's taken businesses, he's taken large corporations, and he's seen which ones were the ones that made the jump from being a good company to being a great company. And a lot of these companies had similarities, and he started to find out what were the intersecting factors that created companies to be able to go from good companies to great companies. And one of the factors that he found, and he gave it a, a name, is a hedgehog concept. The hedgehog concept. And so the hedgehog concept is this thought that as a company, what we're going to do together is that we're going to figure out what are we passionate about? What are we passionate about? And then what do we do? What do we like to do? And then ultimately, and then the last one is, what actually works? What actually works? So what am I passionate about? What do I know how to do? Like, this is a skill that I have. And then what's actually working? And then these three circles, wherever it intersects in the middle, in the middle that's the hedgehog concept. That thing right there is what you're going to attack full speed. In your own personal life, you can ask yourself that if you're trying to figure out what your next step is in the journey of your career, school, whatever it is. What am I passionate about? What am I skilled at? And then what actually works? When I do it, what is something that actually works? Because some of y'all are like, I'm, I'm passionate about singing. And, I'm, you know, and, I'm, and I, I don't know if I'm skilled, but just, yo, look at the effects of it. <laughs> I'm going to record an album. No, you're not. No, you're not. You can record an album, just mix it, you know what I mean? And master it and promote it. But just don't be the one back there talking about, I will sing of your love forever. It, it might not be your calling. I know you're passionate about it. But I think if you can understand what you're passionate about, what are you good at and what works, you'll find yourself in a space where you'll be able to step into what 
Jim Collins has called the, the hedgehog concept, and it actually works. Companies have jumped from good to great companies. You see companies like Blockbuster falter because they didn't have their hedgehog concept, and then you watch companies like Netflix be able to overtake them and even transform to the point now that they're even thinking about starting to send DVDs to people's houses. I mean, like, they're going back in time, but they're just re-envisioning themselves. So in your own personal mind, what are these areas? Because if you are in one accord, watch it. There's nothing like a marriage understanding, babe, together, this is what we're going to do with our finances. Not she's going to Ross and spending $55, and you're going over here to Plato's Closet every two days and spending $40. You know what I mean? You're all together, and you're like, no, this is what we're going to do with our finances. We're not. Let's buckle down. I've seen some of the greatest moments in my life, in my own finances, with my family. I've watched it when we've gotten together as a marriage and we said, okay, this is where we're heading at. And this is what we're going to do. Can I tell you that this is where you're sitting at now is a product of having that one vision singular. Where it was like, we're going to leave Miami, Florida, the comfort, everything that we have built here. And we're going to entrust it to incredible people. And we're going to go to a place where we don't know anybody. And we're going to go right on the other side of those trees right over there to go hang out with some friends. And we're going to dream about what this thing would look like and fast forward some six seven years later here it is that this thing is a product of a singular vision that's why we're always talking about the mission of the church reaching and empower all people towards a relationship with Jesus that's why you're always going to hear no God find freedom discover purpose make a difference we want you to be aligned in culture because we believe when you're in one accord the Bible says that as a rushing mighty wind that the Holy Spirit came into that place. And it says, and he sat upon each of them as tongues of fire. I think it's important when you think about the power of God, that everybody, the entire place, the entire, they were all in one accord. They were all in symphony. They were all together. And the Bible says that the entire place was filled. Even the ones that had strong faith, little faith. The ones that had faith in the middle, it was something about the community of people getting together that it wasn't uniformity, it was unity that all of a sudden the Bible says that the Holy Spirit found himself dwelling in the midst of there and empowering them at that very moment. But one thing that has happened that I thought was really cool and I want to share with you is that the Bible says that there were tongues of fire that sat upon each one of them. It sat upon each one of them. I... um. This is an area of contention in the church. Um, it's an area of contention in families. And when we think about Acts chapter 2, the only thing that we relegated to is to speaking in tongues. And it's like, well, you speak in tongues. I don't believe in tongues. I believe in Disney. Akuna Matata. Shura Bada Honda Bada Bada Mitsubishi. You know what I mean? It's like we're fighting, we're fighting a war that's, that's, oh, that, that doesn't make sense. And I don't want to take time because I, I, talk, I speak in tongues. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe that God is a healer today the same way that he was yesterday. I believe that his name is still Jehovah Rapha. We've seen his healing power in this church. We've seen transformative power in his church. We've seen people who have been in this place that have walked in and we've had conversations of a young girl who has been paralyzed from the waist down and she ran up the aisle because we believe that God is a healer. We still stand firm in that. We've seen over 20 different people whose legs have been healed, their knees have been healed. I'm looking at some of y'all in this room we've had these moments and we we know them we know that God is real we know that he's strong he's powerful it wasn't a pastor on a microphone with a prayer cloth in fact there were some times that I would even back off it because I wanted you to learn because my job is to acquaint the saints equip the saints for the work of the ministry and so we've watched as you prayed for each other and we've watched God heal so we yeah we're that type of church we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit we believe in who he is we believe that God is still real and he's still effective and he's still powerful but can I take the tongues of fire for just a second out of it? And can I just use this word? The Bible says it, it, it sat. 
upon each one of them? When I, when I sit, if you have a conversation with somebody, right, and you, it's important. What do you, what's the first thing you tell them? Hey, let's, let's have a seat. If you got bad news or good news, what do you say? Hey, I hope that you're, I hope that you're sitting down. There's something about a moment where you can just sit down, right? And then it, it's even as a husband, as a wife, you, you, you have a conversation and you're like, babe, come here, sit down for a minute. When my wife tells me that, I'm like, oh, dang, what did I do? I try to think in my head, oh, what did I do, what did I do, what did I do, what did I do? And then it's just like, hey, babe, listen, you've been doing such a great job. And then she encourages me. You could tell me a couple words and rub my back and you can have my bank account, take my money. And so, <laughs> and so here it is, right? You, 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 you have a picture of a posture that I think the Holy Spirit does in the life of believers where the Bible says that he just sits. I think when you think about sitting, it's intentional. I think it's important because it, it slows everything down. It eliminates distractions. Um, there are brothers and sisters right now all over the world who are in Africa, in all type of different countries, India and Cuba, um, and, and they're spending hours um, on their feet walking to come hear the gospel, um, but then they spend hours in services, listening to worship and listening to a preacher preach. And the whole time they're just sitting there before the presence of God. There's a desire. Um, yo, you are in some comfy little chairs. Your tushy is comfortable right now. You sitting there and you're, you know, we created these nice little chairs in rows for you. We gave you a little bit of space so you, you could see the preacher. Like it's comfort because we want you to pay attention because the things that we want to teach you are not for you to just, oh, this is good, internalize it and regurgitate it but we want you to actually live this thing out and walk these things out. So, so we try to create as much comfort as possible for you to be able to focus because there's a message, there's something that we want to share with you that we believe that's important. What I believe about the Holy Spirit is not only was the intention, I think he was really focused. It helps you to lean in and the way that he did it. But can I say something to you real quick? I believe that the Holy Spirit was really intentional and, and, and that word is really intentional about uh, it sat upon each one of them. It was there. I'm not going anywhere. Some of y'all, you go to people's houses and you're like, yo, don't sit down because we're not staying. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And if you go and you sit down at your grandma's house, it's over. It's over. If you go to grandma's house and you sat for one second, you're not getting out of that. And that couch, once that plastic gets into your life, you know what I mean? You're just, you're not going anywhere. You're, you're stuck. But there's something about the moment that you sit down that is just like, yo, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm ready to reside. I'm ready to abide. I want to be with you. What would it look like, though, outside of the Holy Spirit doing that in your life? What would it look like if you did that? Our pace sometimes is so frantic. Um, on Sundays, some of y'all are like, Chino, I need you to hurry up, buddy, because I got, you know what I'm saying? And our pace is so frantic sometimes. We're just going, 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 that we don't stop to just, to just sit. When's the last time you just, you just sat? I, I was at my friend uh, Damien's house and uh, he has this swing in the bottom of his, of his deck and it's overseeing just a bunch of trees. Not a, oh my God, out spectacular view, just a bunch of trees. And, and he said, Chino, sit on it. And I was like, oh man, come on, man. He's like, dude, trust me, just sit on it. And I sat on that junk. It was just like, the whole world just went, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, oh man, to just, to just sit. You want some homework? Just sit. Be, be intentional about just sitting. What would happen if you're intentional about sitting and all of a sudden you just, just pulled out the word and just like sat there in his presence for a little bit? For some of us, that's a regular occurrence. For some of us, that is a rare occurrence. But what would it look like if this is something that you develop and that you were able to just 
slow down for a little bit, man. Take your time and spend some time with God. Can I, can I tell you that what happens is that uh, I believe um, that the world listens. I, I believe that the task and the assignment that you have begins to get better. For some of us, it's like, no, I can't. I got to start and I got to stop. As a pastor, um, one of the biggest lies that the enemy told me and fed me in my brain was that I, I, you got to preach every Sunday and you got to be the one sharing the word because people need it and you're, you got a thought and you got a collective and you know where everybody's at and you're able to do all this weird crap. And I remember a pastor one time, he said, Chino, um, you got to take a sabbatical. And I was like, take a, a who? He's like, man, just, just take a sabbatical. What does that mean? He says, just take four weeks off. I was like, the devil is a liar. I'm going to come back and the church is going to be on fire. Like nobody's going to be there. It's going to be me and my wife and father in Jesus name. You know what I mean? And the Holy Ghost. And so I, I was like, I, okay, I, I don't know how to do this, but I sat down with the team and I don't know if some of y'all remember this. And we took, and we took an entire month off me and my wife. It wasn't so much a sabbatical for me because the, the, I took off that Monday and on that Wednesday, my mom went into the hospital critically ill, which all, uh, most of you know um, that she passed away. And that month was the craziest month because I was constantly flying back and forth from Miami. So it wasn't really a sabbatical. So I got another one in the reserves. But bro, there was something about me taking my hands off of the steering wheel and thinking that I'm God and I'm making this thing happen and that I allowed for God to take the steering wheel that I watched the church as it began to grow. I came back and there were new people serving. There was new people at the church. The church continued to move because it's not Chino's. What about if you copy and paste that to your marriage? What about if you copy and paste that to your job? What about if you copy and paste that to your finances? Am I telling you to take a sabbatical from your marriage? Bro, stop. <laughs> stop. It's a mindset that I'm not, I don't have to have the full control and I don't have to control everything. Oh, husband, you're so far. You need to read the Bible with me. We're going to get up every morning at six o'clock in the morning. We're going to read the Bible. And you, Yo, that's commendable and it's honest and it's great. But why don't you do that at four o'clock in the afternoon or maybe it's eight o'clock? Why does it have to be early in the morning? This dude is tired. This man gets up every single day at four o'clock in the morning to go to work. And now you want to talk to him about Bible study? What would it look like if you actually showed some grace and you began to say, God, I trust you. I mentioned last week that I did that with my mom and my mom was completely radically saved. If I take my hands off the steering wheel and trust God, am I telling you not to drive? Of course you got to drive. Of course you got to pray. Of course you got to invite them to plus one Sunday. Of course you got to read your Bible. Of course you got to tell them, hey, let's learn. But it's not on you because if you think it's on you, it's always going to fail. Watch this. The Bible says that the spirit rested upon them. And all of a sudden, when it rested upon them, they were about 5,000 individuals during this time. It's the Feast of Tabernacles, um, which is coincide with Pentecost. And so what happened is that this, this, uh, this festival was happening and you had people from different tongues and different places. They were all coming to Jerusalem to come sacrificing, to come celebrate this feast. And these individuals, they were all over the world and they came to this specific place. The Bible says that they were walking and that on the floor, on the top roof, 120 people who had been empowered with the Holy Spirit, the wind came in, the tongues of fire rested upon them, and they began to speak in other tongues. And the Bible says that these individuals, thousands of them were walking, and that all of a sudden that they, they heard. There was something they heard that drew their attention. It drew their attention negatively, and then it turned positive. positive but I want to tell you that it, it drew their attention. Their obedience, them being in one place, them being unity, 
it grabbed the world's attention. And all of a sudden, the Bible says that they said, yo, these people are drunk. It's like midday and they turned up. They're on that wild Irish rose. You know what I mean? Early in the morning. And they were like, yo, something is wrong. It, it, it grabbed their attention. Why? Because I believe that the world listens. There's things that happen inside of you that you don't even know. I, uh, at our church, we, uh, we really, really believe um, soul care is like, a, a, I think, a vein that God has given us. Um, but I also think it's something that, I think it's something that is needed in the church, right? And I don't want to ever get away from the spiritual side of stuff, but there's some stuff in the central processing thing in our brain sometimes that, that is out of order because of things that have happened in the past, because of hurts, pains, because of rejection, blah, 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 um, that I feel that the number one, there's fear, I think, is in the church rampant, but I think one of the biggest things that's in the church, um, in and out the church that affects people alike is rejection. Um, rejection is one of the things that will stop you from doing anything. It'll stop you from asking somebody out. It'll stop you from applying for that job. It'll stop you from talking. Um, I remember, um, and, and I, I, I still sometimes deal with this now. Um, but I remember being in a, being in a, in a, in a meeting and there's several of us that are in the meeting. And as we're all kind of, you know, everybody's talking about ideas, we're problem solving, we're creative, we're thinking about different things. All of a sudden, when we're all together in that meeting, it's my turn to talk. And I will say something and I'll say, hey, you know, I had this thought and bleep, 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 bleep. And I'll start talking about it and I'll start saying whatever that thought was, right? And then as soon as I'm in the middle of saying it and it's like, you idiot, bro, why are you talking right now? What are you even saying? And then I will finish the conversation. And the moment that I said, okay, cool, in my mind, I'll start thinking to myself, what the heck did you just say, bro? You always say the wrong things, bro. Why do you even talk? Like, dude, how much of an idiot do you got to be to continue to put yourself in these situations? Like, why would you even say that, bro? Do you even remember what you said? And I mean, it's just a badgering that happens while I'm there like... The next person has talked. I have no idea what they're talking about. I'm in my mind saying, you idiot, dog. Dang it. And then I start to get upset. I'm like, I always do the same thing, dog. I talk too freaking long. That's why I'm a preacher. I'm, golly, I spoke too long. I didn't say nothing. It wasn't a congruent talk. I didn't have anything. And then I, you, you've probably been here. You push away from the table. Anybody, don't raise your hand. But anybody, nod at me. You've ever felt like that? You, you know, okay, cool. You push away from the table. When you push away from the table, in your mind, in my mind, I'm sitting there and I'm like, dang it, bro, why did I say that? Like, I shouldn't have, I, why did I open up my mouth? I always say the wrong things. And then somebody comes up to you and they're like, hey, man, bro, thank you so much for saying that. Like, bro, somebody had to say, hey, bro, what you said, I can't even begin to tell you how much it affected, how much it helped. Man, thank you for saying, even your boss sometimes will come and say, hey, that was good. That was, keep it up. That was good. In your mind sometimes, like mine, you're just like, oh, they don't really know what they're talking about. I messed up. I shouldn't have said that. Because it's the rejection thing that we deal with for so much. What happens is that when we hear the word witness, we begin to think of rejection. When we hear the word sharing your faith, the only thing you could think of is when I knock on somebody's door, they're going to close the door. Bam, you Jehovah witness. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the first thing you're thinking of. I'm going to go to Walmart and I'm going to say, hey, can I pray with you? Pray with who? Bro, watch out, man. Get away. And we, it's a constant rejection because we live in this world that we feel like everything we do is wrong. Can I tell you, you're probably right. But the beauty of the gospel is that it's completely different. The beauty of the gospel is that when you give your life to Jesus, Scripture says that there is a Holy Spirit that resides inside of you, right? And so here's what happens. He begins to show you 
You are more than enough. You're, you're a lot better than what you're giving yourself credit for. You actually have some intelligent thoughts in your mind. And regardless of what he did or she said to create that insecurity and that rejection are you, you are enough. You are an intelligent individual. The Holy Spirit begins to show you and start working inside of you. But then also he tells you, you, you really can't do this thing on your own. You're, you're a shell of information if you try to jump out there by yourself. But something happens when the Holy Spirit starts living inside of you. Something happens when he starts to speak inside of you. Now you start having these conversations. At first, you start to get a little weird. You're like, yo, what did I even preach? You know how many times I gotten on this stage? I gotten off and I told my wife, babe, what happened? <laughs> what, what did I say? Did I just send people to hell? What did I just do? I'm like, babe, did, did it make sense? Was it tied in? Was it good? Did, it, did people understand the concept? Because I'm up here and I'm talking and I'm reading my notes in my brain and it's going through here. But at the same time, rejection starts to well up. But then I start to have conversations with people. And I start to watch as individuals who I had conversations with at some of the lowest points in their life right now are leading churches that have 5,000 to 6,000 members. I watch people in my own personal life that are leading great companies and are doing incredible feats of God because of simple conversations that we had. Because I understand it's not about me. It's about what's living inside of me. It's about the Holy Spirit. Don Bizarro. I'm going to, the day of my funeral, I'm going to preach Don Bizarro. <laughs> Don Bizarro. That, meant, that name might not mean anything to about 85% of you. But Don Bizarro was this individual that would go to a juvenile jail. And in the juvenile jail, he would preach every single Sunday. And on Sundays, he would bring, um, he would bring uh, uh, Czech cola. And a, the, remember the, the Ritz cola? The three, it was three liters, but it was 99 cent. You know what? None of y'all? RC cola? Okay. Some of my older folks. Everybody else is like, what? That's what? <laughs> Celsius? No. It was a three-gallon water with some type of carbonated thing, and it was red. And some of them were orange and purple and... Your mama brought that to the house. Oh, it's a good day. It might not last through the week, but it was a good day. He would bring the Coke and sodas and, and then he would bring the duplex cookies because those are of the Lord. And he would bring those cookies and, and he would sit there. And he would he would talk to these kids and he would sit there and he would have a Bible study with these kids. Old um, Italian man. Um, at this point, he was probably in his 70s. And so old Italian man, he would sit there and he would preach to these kids and talk to them about the Bible. And he would open up the Bible and, and try to teach them and, and, and have conversations with them. 95% of those kids paid no attention to him. In fact, there were people that were banging on the door and they beep, 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 you my beep, beep, beep. It was like a little Wayne on VMAs. You know what I mean? It was like just curse word after curse words on him. And he, okay. And so remember last week we were talking about in the book of John, bro, nobody remembers nothing, bro. Nobody was paying attention to you, homie. But he would go week after week after week. And he would keep sowing seeds week after week after week. And he just talked week after week after week. The crazy part about Don Bizarro is that a lot of those kids would get out of jail and then come right back to jail. And Don would be like, oh, come, oh, you got out. Oh, okay, awesome. Well, yeah, come on, sit down. Let's, let's, you know. And time after time, these kids would get out of jail and then come right back to jail get out of jail and some of them would stay for longer times some of them would stay shorter times and it wasn't until two of uh, the year 2000 that I remember after being in jail 13 times walking through the hallways and looking Don Bizarro in the face and grabbing him by the hand and say bro I get it 
I understood what you were teaching me all those years. I've accepted Jesus Christ in my heart and I preached the message. I'm going to be a pastor when I get out. I'm going to start a church. And I remember telling him now, now an 85, 86 year old man, I remember him holding my hand. At this time he was in his 70s, late 70s, early 80s. He was holding my hand and just looking at me like super confused like, what? I'm like, I was one of those little kids that you used to bring the Coke and the sodas to and you used to preach to. I never listened to nothing you said, but something happened to me in my worst and darkest moment. I remember what you talked about and now I'm saved. Here it is. This was in 2000. So 23 years later, you guys are sitting in the product of, you are a product of Don Bizarro's faith where he understood, I might not be saying the right thing, but there's something inside of me, baby, that is called the Holy Spirit that I believe he's going to start doing the work. That Holy Spirit has changed my life. That Holy Spirit has preached to you. That Holy Spirit and that faithfulness that he had, understanding who was living inside of him. He may not have made sense. I had a mouth full of gold teeth. My hair didn't look like it was right. I was a jacked up mess. This was an older 70-something, 80-something year old Italian man about this tall and he was talking to me. He didn't look like me. He didn't sound like me, but he kept speaking about Jesus. He kept speaking about Jesus and something inside of him did something inside of me and here it is 20-something years later my life has been affected. I've been able to travel the world in different countries. I've been able to go to different churches. I've been able to go to prisons. I've been able to go to street corners and projects and been able to share the very gospel that changed my life. All because one little old man said, you know what? God called me to be a witness. And when he called me to be a witness, I ain't know what I was saying, but I know I got something inside of me. And he stepped out there in obedience. He went from place to place. He got around the right community. He found himself united with some people. And the change is going to reverberate through all of eternity because my voice ain't stopping. My kids' voices are not going to stop. Your voice isn't going to stop. Your children's voices are not going to stop. We're going to continue to be witnesses. But the common denominator, the reason why we can pull off of the chair and not take accountability or not feel so bad is because we know, yo, there's a God living inside of me. He's empowering me, baby. He's giving me the words. He's strengthening me. He's giving me the thoughts to be able to say, come on, anybody excited about the Holy Spirit that is living inside of each and every one of us? Come on, he gives you the words. He gives you the encouragement. He gives you the power. I can't do it. You're right. You can't do it. But he can. And if you allow for him to give space to your life. The Bible says that Peter gets up and he tells them, yo, yo we're not drunk. I know you think we're drunk. We're not. I promise we're not. He, I, I think he even makes like, a, yo, Peter had like the most slyest remarks. Even when Jesus, I perceived power leave from me. And Jesus was like, bro, all these people around you, you talking about some power leaving out of you with the woman with the issue of blood. He turns to them and he's like, yo, it's like the 12th hour. Ain't nobody getting drunk at 12 p.m. Well, you know. And so, <laughs> and so he, Peter gets up there and he begins to preach. And he begins to tell them of the story of who they were their lineage so he can identify with them and then he pulled that identity with them and then he presented Jesus and he starts to talk about Jesus he'd never done that before but there was something different inside of him remember Acts chapter 2 the Holy Spirit had resided inside of him can I show you the effects of when you allow to walk in obedience when the plus one is living inside of you Acts chapter 2 verse 41 then they gladly received his words and were baptized. These were people who were in every stretch of the imaginations filled with racism in their heart. 
The reason why they were filled with racism in their heart is because they were saying, we are a certain eclectic group that has been called. We don't mix with anybody else. And what you guys are doing is that you're bringing something completely different than who we are. And so hatred has birthed in our heart where we've separated ourselves. We don't want anything to do with you. But because of the Holy Spirit that was living inside of Peter, when he began to speak, the Bible says they gladly received the words and they were baptized. That same day, they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Here's the thought. The church had been split, fractured, fractured, and broken. And there was only about 120 people that were left that loved Jesus and that were in the upper room and that continued to follow him. In one conversation, in one speech, the church turned into 3,120 people. One talk. A guy who hadn't done that before because that was Jesus' job. But Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you a comforter. He will bring back to remembrance everything that I taught you. And out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And Peter was the embodiment of that. And the Holy Spirit began to speak in and through him. That same Holy Spirit that was living in Peter is the very same Holy Spirit that's living inside of each and every one of you. We all have that plus one. If you called on the name of Jesus, he's living inside of you. I, I want to make this clear and I I'm going to explain it in a matter of a minute. But go back and listen to it because I unpacked this really, 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 really in depth over the series AD, After Death. When you call on the name of Jesus, you no longer have to wait. At that very moment that you call on the name of Jesus for all of us that have been saved, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit immediately, He lives inside of you. This Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, He makes residence. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? He lives inside of you. He brings back things to remembrance. He helps you. He muzzles you. He teaches you. He encourages you. He comforts you when you're broken. He also helps you to live the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to know who, somebody could speak in tongues and they could do all of these crazy feats of work. Jesus said, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Jesus said, I never knew you. You want to know what the fruit of the Spirit is? When you see joy. When you see love, when you see patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, when you see self-control, not just, I'm flipping over, hallelujah, yeah, I almost kicked the microphone, but I don't want to break it. You know what I mean? And they do, Jesus is coming, and they do all that. That's not self-control. And please, man, I'm not belittling some of y'all that allow yourself to get too emotional sometimes. I'm not belittling you that. But self-control, the prophet is subject to the prophet. We, we, the Spirit, we, we have self-control. This is the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But then there's the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit was that in the next chapter, Peter goes to jail because he healed a man that had been lame from his birth. And he told this man, get up and walk. And this man began to walk. The Sadducees, the religious leaders, they grabbed Peter and they put him in jail. And they're saying, you're, you're gonna, we're going to kill you the way Jesus, like this dude needs to go to jail. He's done. But because of the miraculous power of God, he gets released from jail. And in Acts chapter 4, I want you to go back and read it. The Bible says they go back to the house where everybody was gathered. And when they go back, they begin to tell everybody, oh my God, I'm so excited because we got to suffer for Jesus. Not we healed a man. Not the man who had been lame. Remember the guy at the church? Remember that he never walked and everybody walked by him at a church? You know what I mean? And all he did was ask for money, but silver and gold I do not have. And they didn't, 
what they were excited about was the fact that they got to suffer for Jesus, that they got to proclaim his name in front of everybody. It changes you when the Holy Spirit is living inside of you. You're not, you don't just start looking at all the cool things that you did. You start to feel good when you allow God to use you. God, thank you for using me. That was awesome. The disciples came back, 72 of them came back. Jesus sent them out. I want you to proclaim the name. I want you to heal the sick. I want you to cast out demons. I want you to do all of these things. The disciples come back and they tell Jesus, Jesus, we came back and even the demons are subject to you. People were getting healed. I mean, it was just amazing. And Jesus said, that's cool. But be excited that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. This is what's important. Eternity is what's important. Don't get too full of yourself. Acts chapter 4. Peter comes back from doing all of that. He walks into the room and the Bible says that they began to pray and when they began to pray it says the place in which they prayed began to shake and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit so there's there's the Holy Spirit living inside of you and I've unpacked this for weeks again I say but then there's an empowerment of the Holy Spirit which is a fresh touch it's a fresh feeling it's, it's for works and we talked about what comes out of that John chapter 7 verse 48 38 it says Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit he says out of your belly will flow rivers of living water this speaking about the Holy Spirit who at that time had not come but when Jesus left the Holy Spirit came and so the living waters come out and this is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit this is when it starts to get fun this is when the plus one begins to do the work in your life and for some of us that's awesome but we're on the other side of the spectrum, outside looking in. And we don't have a relationship with Jesus. And man, Chino, I'm so caught up in my life that to think of something living inside of me, if I'm honest with you, there is something living inside of me, but it's cursing the very moment that I walk into a church. It curses the very moment that I even hear the name of God. Chino, I'm so struggled. I'm in so much of a mess right now that I feel like sin, depression, anxiety has on such a grip that I can't even come to God. And man, you've been struggling for such a while, man. But can I tell you that there's freedom available for you in the room? Because we're in a, a place. And we're in one accord. And where this thing happens, the Holy Spirit begins to move. So even now, as I'm saying that, you're like, Dag, you know, I've never given my heart to Jesus. But there's something inside of me, man, that I'm feeling that it's just, I don't know what this thing is. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord draw men unto repentance. It's not an incredible piano player. It's not the guy speaking on a microphone. It's the Holy Spirit. He wants you. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity to take that first step into salvation. All of this comes afterwards, but the first step, that's the most important step. Today, would you do me a favor? And would you bow your head and close your eyes for just a second? Thanks for listening to our podcast today. The mission of Greater Church is to reach and empower all people. We hope that this message met you wherever you find yourself on the journey. If God is using this ministry to impact your life, please head to our website at www.greater.church where you can read a message from our pastors, partner with us by giving.